July 15th, 2020, and we are here on our seventh episode with Unraveling the Babel. Today, the episode is called, Can Anything Good Come Out of That? Every one of us have asked this question at one time or another, and I know right now in what we're seeing happening all around us, this is a question that many of us may be asking ourselves daily. Let's look at it. First John 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This takes us back to how Jesus ended up in Nazareth to begin with. When Jesus was born, we know that an angel came to Joseph and warned him, take Jesus and Mary and escape to Egypt because King Herod had decreed that all the Jewish children, the males, two and under, were to be murdered. And then the angel appeared to Joseph and told him it was safe to bring Jesus back. And so as he comes into Israel, he is worried because he hears that the new Herod that's on the throne is the son of the Herod that put out the order to murder the children trying to murder Jesus. That was the goal. What happens is he then takes his family to Galilee and ends up in Nazareth. We also know that in doing this, he was fulfilling scripture. The scriptures that confirm this are in Isaiah and then also in Matthew 21 through 22. So what do we know about Nazareth that Nathaniel would ask this question? We know that it was a very small town with a small population. It had underground cisterns for water, vats for oil, and silos for grain. The people of Nazareth clung to traditional Jewish culture, though everything around them had been infiltrated um, with the Greek and Roman culture that was happening. We know that with such a small population, everyone knew each other. And in most cases, they were related somewhere down the line. We know that they spoke Aramaic which had a strong poetic tradition, again, going back to the traditional things of the Jewish culture. The young men were expected to be literate. So this was not a place that people came out of that, you know, were uneducated. Most people were farmers, worked hard, paid their taxes, and tried to live in peace. They were observant people, Jewish families who practiced and valued traditions of Moses and the prophets. They were tradesmen, and as tradesmen, they wore symbols to help identify their trade. 
So, for example, I'll use a carpenter because Jesus was a carpenter. They would um, stick wood chips behind their ears, kind of promoting and advertising. It's how they advertise their trade. However, that did not happen on the Sabbath. So as we look at these things, we really don't see much in Scripture or from historians that would express that Nazareth was this horrible place. So it may be something we can carefully assume that they considered it a poor village because not necessarily because they were poor or uneducated, but because it had not been immersed in the Greek culture and, you know, maybe was considered old fashioned and poor because it didn't function in what they would have considered the new age. Wow, something is really wrong with that. It's that kind of thinking that we can maybe assume was happening here and why people saw Nazareth the way they did. This also is what would have possibly caused it to be difficult or hard for people to understand that the Messiah would come from this place. Most believed that he would come as a human king and that he would save them from the Roman oppression that they were under. So you can really begin to see why this would be hard for people to accept that Jesus came from Nazareth. But when Nathanael meets him, this really interesting thing happens, which we talked about in the last episode. Jesus sees him and calls him out. And right when he meets him, actually before he even meets him, he says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He doesn't say, there's Nathanael. I love how we see him do this again and again. So what does Nathanael do? He is completely taken back by this. How do you know me? And Jesus does something very important. He reveals himself through a miracle. And once this happens, Nathanael now recognizes Jesus. That takes us back to our last episode, recognize and know, because once Nathaniel recognized you are the son of God, he knew that this Jesus standing in front of him was their teacher. And immediately he calls him as such, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And what we have to understand too, because this is so important in our walk with him, Jesus doesn't just immediately recognize disciples. He recognizes everyone for who they are, whether disciples or the woman at the well and all the sin that he calls out about her life or the Jewish leaders when he called them a brood of vipers. He knows and he calls it out. And in all of these accounts, Jesus either had to introduce himself through miracles or whatever way that he did it, or he had to be introduced by someone else. This is a huge for us to look at because that is why us sharing the good news of Jesus is so vitally important. Why we cannot be silent. Why we must avow to be bold, even in the face of what is happening around us. Because people will not recognize Jesus unless he chooses to introduce himself through some means of a miracle. But most of the time works through us to introduce him through our excitement about him, through our gratefulness for him. This is so vital, especially now. After Nathaniel recognizes Jesus, 
we see first Jesus make a point here that you only recognize me because of the miracle that I did. However, that's just the beginning. And we see Jesus get really excited here. And he he says, you're going to see even greater things. He actually says, you will see even greater things than that. Then he goes on to tell him, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I mean, we see this excitement in Jesus as, as he is revealing to Nathaniel, just wait, that's nothing. Now, let's talk about all of this because there's some significant things that we need to pay attention to. The first thing is we need to make a decision. We see from the very beginning that the scripture starts off by telling us Jesus decided. He decided to go to Galilee, but he decided. How many times have we missed opportunities because we didn't decide? We let busyness or laziness or fear make decisions for us. We can't ever get where we need to be until we decide to move because a lack of decision is a decision. Philip didn't just bump into Nathaniel and tell him about Jesus. He went looking for him. He found him and then told him that they had found the one they'd been waiting for. Even when Nathaniel was a bit saucy with him. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip didn't lose his excitement. He said, come and see. It may have been this excitement that intrigued Nathaniel. Excitement is attractive. It's contagious. It's why people today pay money to hear motivational speakers and then spend more money to buy their products once they've heard them speak. They want what those people have. They want to be excited too. Philip wasn't talking about money or temporary fixes. He was talking about the promise that was given hundreds of years before. A promise they and their parents and their parents before them had been believing in, waiting for, anticipating, praying for. This excitement, this deliverance on a whole new level was standing there in front of them. If they can have this kind of excitement and zeal about Jesus, we don't have an excuse. Can anything good come from there? Can anything good come out of this or of that? Can anything good come out of her or him? Jesus takes joy in restoring our life. And that is not something that happens overnight. That is something that happens over time. As he is renewing our mind, he is renewing our life, renewing our relationships, renewing the way we speak, renewing the way we respond, renewing our perspectives. And in doing that, he's not just taking on our messes. He's taking on our fears, our anxieties, our hurts, our traumas, our pain, our suffering. Jesus always speaks into our life. So we have to decide, decide to move toward Jesus, to be in the word. That's how we do it. That's how we get the mind of Christ. We have to seek the lost and bring them to Jesus with excitement and zeal, no matter how they respond to us. Just like Mr. Saucy Pants, Nathaniel, it doesn't matter how they respond. Be like Philip, come and see. And if they don't, that's between them and God. It's our job to introduce and to let Jesus be seen through our life. The rest is between them and God. 
And yes, we have to know that good can come from anything if God is in it, whether it be from ourselves, from a situation, from a horrible choice. Believe that he brings all things together for his good. It doesn't say he brings good things together for his good. It says he brings all things together for his good. As we come to a close today, I'm going to leave you with this story. I want to bring home the importance of hearing the voice of Jesus and listening to it. I had made a trip to Illinois to visit my family. I battle with a chronic situation which causes my legs to hurt. And on this particular ride home, it was about four hours. My legs were really, really hurting. And on the way to my house was the home of a lady that I had met through our daughters who went to school together. And through that, she went to church with me. She rededicated her life, but she came from a really difficult situation and uh, background and was really dealing with some very difficult things. I had kind of fallen off in following up with her because some busyness had gotten in the way. And so as I'm driving, and I'm probably 30 minutes from home, I start getting this compelling sense that I have to go there. My daughter's in the back seat of the car, and I'm thinking, you know, it's been a long ride. She's ready to be home. You know, I just want to go home. I'm hurting. I just want to relax. I'm just going to throw it out of my mind. And it came back again and again. And I, I started to realize this is, this is God talking to me. I'm so tired and I want to be home so bad. I literally was arguing with God. My daughter was probably in fourth or fifth grade at this time. She can attest to this. <laughs> and I have my hands on the wheel and I'm literally saying, no, I don't want to do this. And I keep driving. And it was almost as if I could barely hold the wheel to go straight. I can't explain this. And as I came closer upon the road to turn to her house, I mean, it was this battle and fight. And I finally just said, fine. And I turned the corner, the whole little drive down that road to get to her house. I am mad. I don't want to be here. I'm going to knock on her door. I'm going to tell her, I hope you're doing okay. And I'm leaving and going home. This is ridiculous. And this is what was going through my mind. I pull in her driveway and course my little girl says oh, can I get out she wants to see her friend and I said no we're not going to be here that long so I walk up and I knock on the door so I know I, I ring the doorbell actually and I kind of hear a little something so I wait and I say in my head okay I'm going to knock and if she doesn't come I'm leaving I knock on the door I wait for a few seconds I start to kind of back up and I hear the door begin to open. And as the door opens, she looks up at me and she starts weeping. I have no idea what's happening at this point. And honestly, at this moment, all the selfish things that had been going on in my head, it kind of vanished away. And she's trying to talk to me, but she's weeping so hard that she I can't understand her words. I, I keep trying to calm her down she pulls me into the house almost she's talking to me in this loud voice but not loud yelling at me like she really wants me to understand what's happening but it's so jumbled 
and so fast and and I can't understand and she's saying it through tears and weeping and and so I don't know what to do and I just grab her and I I just start praying I, I don't even know what I'm praying for I'm just praying and as I say amen and she begins to calm down this calm come over her and at that I back up and she tells me that she was preparing to take her own life and that she had prayed that unless God sent her an angel, that's exactly what she was going to do. She had prepared everything. She had sent her children off. She had this gentleman there who tried to talk her out of it, but she was determined and I guess gave him compelling evidence as to why that she needed to do it. And he was helping her get things together. And that day a life was saved. When I left there that day and I got in that car, I wept and I begged God for forgiveness. I was so ashamed and so angry with myself because Jesus was trying to tell me that he was trying to save somebody. And he wanted me to be his hands and his feet in that moment. He wanted my arms to be wrapped around that beautiful woman so that she knew that he heard her, so that she knew that he was there with her, so that she knew that he had the answer for her. And all I was worried about was how tired I was, how bad my legs hurt. I just wanted to be home so I could be comfortable. I can't imagine what would have happened that day if I would have not turned. And I can't take any credit for it because I fought it all the way. That was all Jesus. Because he loved her so much that he would fight me at that steering wheel because he had a plan and a purpose for her life. He recognized her, what he created her to be. She didn't, but he did. And that day, even in my bad attitude, he showed her that. It was such a lesson for me. A lesson I will never forget. Hear the voice of God. And when you know it's him, and you will know, if you are a believer, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You follow it. You put aside your conveniences. You put aside your ailments. You put aside your pain. Because he's trying to save somebody. He's trying to change somebody's life. He's trying to make a difference. He's trying to reveal himself. He's trying to tell them that they are not alone. That he loves them and he cares for them. And he'll do whatever it takes for them to know it. Have zeal for Jesus and for his word and for his salvation and for his transforming power because we are the light of the world. We are the salt. This is not a time for us to be quiet. This is not a time for us to be afraid. This is a time for us to be bold. This is a time for us to reach out. This is a time for us to rise up. Church, set aside our differences, our political views, we shouldn't even have political views. We should have one view, Jesus view. So I leave you with that today. Spend time with God. He is your only teacher. Everyone else is simply confirmation. Until next time, unravel that babble with the Bible.